my grandfather's name was Max, but we called him the Fox. It was a nickname given to him by his fellow taxi drivers in celebration of his quiet coming. In October 2005, I was at home in Sydney when I received a phone call from my mother that the fox at 87 was lying deep in coma and probably wouldn't make it through the night. It was a six-hour journey to get to his bedside, and the whole time I sent a little secular prayer out of the universe. Please, fox, just hold on until I get there. I want to say goodbye to you. When I arrived at his bedside, he was surrounded by womenfolk, his wife, his daughter, and his granddaughter, all holding his hand as he lay there in coma and singing to him the song that he used to sing to us. How much is that dog in the window? I do hope that dog is for sale. I paused for a moment before gently dispersing the choir and went and sat with the fox for a few minutes by myself and I held his hand and I told him that I loved him. Not just that I loved him, but that I loved him more than any other human being on earth. I thanked him for being my guidance, my strength, my sense of loyalty, love, for being my lodestar, the star by which I navigated. I thanked him for taking care of the women in our family and I said to him, if you're now ready to go, feel free to hand the baton to me and I will take over and you can go on your journey. I had a strong intuitive sense that he wanted to go alone. And I told him that, and as I told him that, although he was deep in coma, it was the most faint flicker at the corner of his mouth, what might have been a smile in stronger days, and a little tremor of his eyeballs behind his eyelids. And holding his hand, I felt a slight squeeze. And I knew then that he was ready to go and that he needed to go alone. So I took his wife and his daughter and his granddaughter outside. We went for a walk in the garden. And my mother said, I think he's got the strength to last through the night. And I didn't say anything at the time, but I knew when we returned in 10 minutes time, the fox would be gone. And he was. We buried the fox under some towering pine trees in the Kuma Cemetery next to his parents and his grandfather. And a week later, returning to Sydney, I was asleep at home. In the middle of the night, I woke up, goosebumps, my skin tingling and crying. And it was a hot, still night, not a breath of air. Yet the curtain at the window was billowing like a yacht's spinnaker. My partner at the time, Claire, woke up beside me and she looked around. She turned to me and said, it's the fox, he's here. He's come to say goodbye before he moves on. So touched was I by that experience that I spoke the next day with a clairvoyant. Clairvoyant knew nothing about me and nothing about the fox and nothing about our relationship, knew nothing about anything. Yet said she had a message from an old man with gray hair and crooked eyes and Max, she was seeing a fox, and the message that I was receiving from the fox was that he wanted to tell me that he was going to be there with me when I swam. She said, does that mean anything to you? Yes, that meant something to me. Because in 10 months' time from then, I was scheduled to make an attempt to swim the English Channel. Yes, that meant something to me. 
A month later, I was in London for work, and after work, I caught the train down to Dover, down the south coast of England, and there I met Captain Cross, the man who was scheduled to be my safety escort across the channel, because I felt I needed to turn the channel from something theoretical, a mere blue strip of water between England and France, into something real. I need to hear the clatter of stones on the beach. I need to smell that briny tang, that salt sea. I need to stand on the famous white cliffs of Dover and look out across and see France. So Chris took me up onto the cliffs. And as the sun setting, I look out and see France. And I thought, yes, I can now do this. I can now make this swim in 10 months' time. And Chris said, let's get you back to the train lab. Let's get you back to London. So he put me back in the car and we left the cliffs and started driving around the corner. And there, standing in the middle of the road, was a fox. And Chris said, that's unusual. You don't see many of those around here. And when you do, they don't stand in the middle of the room and stare at you. I didn't say anything, but as we inched forward, the fox just trotted off the side of the road into the verge as we went past, just looking in the eyes. Come the day of the swim, it was a grey, misty, foggy day. I got into the water and swam and swam and swam. And after nine hours of swimming, the sun went down and I realised I was going to be swimming for the next three hours in darkness. And then after just about 13 hours of swimming, I was just about exhausted. I came into the boat for a drink of water and one of my teammates on the boat leans over the edge and says, Mate, you're going to have to give me the best 20 minutes of your life here. The next 20 minutes you're going to have to swim hard, strong. I didn't know what an emergency was at the time. And I now know that he was warning me against a very strong current that was sweeping down the coast of France and it was threatening to sweep me back out of the middle of the channel and ended my dream of making it to France. I still can't explain what happened in that 20 minutes. But after 13 hours of swimming, exhausted, cold, painful, I swam like a man possessed, stronger, harder, faster than I'd ever swum in my life. As if I was somehow swimming from beyond. When I came in at the end of that 20 minutes, my team was really, really excited. You're just about there. You've only got one kilometre to go. 15 minutes of swimming. You can do it. You can do it. And I was also excited. And I said, great. It's dark. I don't know where I'm swimming. Which way? And Captain Chris leans over and he said, Ben, swim to the moon. Swim to the moon. And I turned around and there in the sky is a full moon. Shining down onto the ocean, the horizon where the light touches the water and then a glittering path of moonlight coming back to me. I literally swam down the path of moonlight towards France. It felt like an eternity, but eventually my arm touched something in that water. And then my other arm. And then my first arm. And I stopped and I put my feet down, wobbly after 13 hours, and managed to stumble off the beach and collapse on the sand and looked up at the stars the full moon and I wept. I love life and I love my life. That was the first time in that life that I thought, if it all has to end now, I'd be okay with this. Now it didn't end of course, life went on and for the next seven nights I woke up in the middle of the night, bolt upright, terrified. Mm -hmm. 
scared that I've missed the start of my swim. It's taken me a moment to work out where I am I? And then realise, ah, it's swung. And then on the eighth night, I had a dream that I can still remember now, so vividly, of a fox trotting along the tops of the cliffs of Dover. And he stops, like poor of the air. He turns, and he looks at me, and he holds that dog for one heartbeat, two heartbeats, three heartbeats, four heartbeats. And he closes his eyes, and turns, and walks away. And on that eighth night, I, swept all, I slept all the way to morning. Thank you. <laughs>